Oh, uh, yo, what's going on, everybody? Welcome to the Forbidden Technique podcast on the Fight Site Podcast Network. Myself, your host, Silas Martin, my co host, as always, Christian Reynolds. Uh, we didn't manage to do an episode last week looking at last week's card in London, but then the card ended up being a uh, pretty tepid affair, all things considered. So we're probably just going to touch on a few of the important results from that at the end because. Uh, who gives a shit about that? Uh, we're talking about UFC 281. Another pretty stacked pay-per-view ahead of us with a fight at the top that um, I was a little down on when it was booked because uh, I'm a boring, lame asshole who doesn't like fun. Uh, purely because like some movement needs to happen in, at the top end of this division to actually get new people in the title picture. Uh, love both of these guys, but they both have already lost to Charles Oliveira. And do we really need to see these guys fight Islam Akachev? Probably not. But no reason to actually be down on this as a pay-per-view main event because you got two of the most beloved action fighters of all time who had an amazing fight. And there's uh, basically no way that they're not going to have another amazing fight. Uh, Dustin Poirier versus Justin Gaethje. Uh, of course, we've all seen this fight before. Um, of course, Dustin Poirier won by knockout. Wasn't an easy fight. Uh, pretty much, no one has an easy fight with Dustin with, with Justin Gaethje. Even the people that you know finish him in the first couple of rounds have to go through hell to get it done. You know, Dustin Poirier got his leg chewed up, but. Um, uh, really showcased uh, his own particular brand of counterpunching and defense off of the back foot against someone who was just so dedicated about walking him down, getting in close and making it ugly and just trying to drag Dustin Poirier into a brawl. Even though Poirier got his leg chewed up a little bit, uh, he, he, was, he was basically fine. Justin Gaethje was just so hittable that it just kind of added up over the course of... Uh, three rounds and some change and Dustin Poirier just kind of swarmed him and knocked him the fuck out at the beginning of the fourth after uh, hurting him with like a straight left as uh, Justin Gaethje was on one leg throwing a low kick. What do we expect to be different in either guy's approach at this point since that fight was kind of a pretty important kind of point in Justin Gaethje's stylistic development where he actually kind of started rethinking his approach to a lot of fights uh having come off of his having come off of his first two uh losses in MMA uh, both uh brutal knockout losses in insane wars with really experienced crafty veterans in Eddie Alvarez and Dustin Poirier and has has yeah kind of uh retooled uh, his approach since then so yeah, Christian, what, what do you expect this fight to look like? What do you expect both guys to come in trying to get done? Um, I, I think it's important to talk about the things that each guy has done to evolve since their last fight against each other. Uh, neither guy is really the same fighter, but they're they're basically like... They, they were already finished product when they last fought. They've just evolved as elite fighters since then which is going to happen to anyone if you fight four years later or five years later. I think Dustin, his main changes 
uh, have to do with just broadening his his overall skill set. It feels like his strengths have pretty much the same vulnerabilities they've always had, such as his ringcraft leaving a little bit to be desired on the back foot. Uh, when he's on the front foot, he's pretty counterable, or, or like he he leaves himself open to to like straight counters and you know things that punish dips and and like kind of loose shifting. Or, or kind of like, not lazy, because it's very labor-intensive, but uh, unsafe shifting practices. Like, the way that he'll completely throw himself off balance and kind of chase after his punches. It's stuff that doesn't get him in trouble against most people uh, whenever he gets put on the front foot. Or, or has to be on the front foot to kind of chase someone. But against Gaethje, in his more recent fights, I think something that his he's had a much more clear... Uh, development in his style since Dustin in that he's a lot more liable to take the back foot and kind of find his his counters and uh, just be overall a lot safer. He, overall, he's basically the same fighter. He's still willing to go to war with anyone. He's still able to hang out, hang out in a war, no problem. Uh, he's, he's just a bit more defensively minded and worries about the offense coming back at him a lot more than they used to. Yeah, which is funny because, like, it's not like he's developed more of a defensive system. Uh, it's like the difference between a good defensively and just defensively responsible, you know? <laughs> yeah, he doesn't have, you know, six slips or anything or, like, a, a nice roller now. But he just stays farther away from his opponents and tries to shut down their offense with his own offense more than he used to. It's like he's not fighting... Uh, with good defense now, he like he didn't get better defense. He's just trying to not get hit as much, which is really all you have to do at a certain point if you already have a deep enough game. And he he's always had the ability to do that. And in shades, we've seen it throughout his career, like times that he would just kind of want to avoid getting cracked by a huge counter, so he'll like bully you into the clinch and start like hockey fighting you, which he did a lot in his pre UFC career and his earlier UFC fights where if he started really getting lit up by offense, he would try and close the distance. But now it seems like he's kind of reversed that role where now if he's getting cracked, he's going to try and get distance from you, uh, which has been a good and a bad thing. You know, it got him dropped against Charles Oliveira because Charles is very dangerous out of the clinch, but it came from so much offense against both Fiziev and Michael Chandler. So it's got its pros and cons. Fucking Discord. Um, I, I said a full thing, and it's still on the recording. Uh, like, on the Audacity one. Uh, he, he has a lot of upside in, in the things that he's changed. It, it did protect him a lot in certain matchups since their last fight. Just willing to go back instead of closing the distance to defend himself. But overall, I think that he still has the potential to fight pretty much exactly the same as he did in their first fight, but just more tight. I, I do think a, a major thing that Gaethje needs is to commit to a specific approach in this fight. I think that if he pressures whenever Dustin gives him the opportunity to and goes in the back foot whenever Dustin gives him the opportunity to, I think if he just kind of fights wherever the fight goes, he's going to get repeatedly countered by Dustin and I think it's going to look very similar to their first fight because that was a bit of an issue that he had in their first uh, time they fought is that Gaethje would land some low kicks and he'd get Dustin shuffling back and then he'd get countered kind of hard and be like okay yeah I'm going to like take a couple steps back whereas 
if he just committed to completely outfighting, I think he could do a lot of things to pick off what Dustin wants to do coming forward and also shut him down whenever they're just in a neutral exchange in the middle of the cage. Or, I think if he really just pushes his advantages and tries to fuck him up hard as he's pushing him back, I think he could get a lot more done from that. I think it would be important for him to force his offense to come out rather than just wait for spots. Because Dustin has gotten better since their last fight. I, I don't know if he's gotten better than Gagey has gotten better, but I know that he's definitely made improvements primarily in his ability to mix things up. He's a lot more likely to to kind of engage in clinch battles or kick with a kicker, which he was doing in spots against Gaethje. Uh I think it's a mischaracterization of their first fight that all Dustin had was to just counter with a a, a straight punch or an overhand anytime Gaethje threw a low, low kick. Because there was points where he tried checking, he would uh, kick Gaethje himself, he would just pull his leg out of range. He had multiple uh, tools th- that he was using to try and avoid the low kicks. He was just overall getting um, out low kicked. Or, or out damaged by the low kicks. But the way that he's evolved since, I think that he has a lot more that he can do to evade the very specific tactic that was bothering him in their first fight. So it's really a, a matter of who adjusts to who the other guys become more. And I'm expecting uh, Justin Gage to come in with better ideas, but it not necessarily to matter. Uh, I, I'm going to pick Dustin Poirier. Just to like spoil it, because we're still talking about the fight quite a lot, but like I, I am going to pick Dustin Poirier primarily for the reasons that I feel like no matter what Gaethje does, he's just going to end up in a situation where he's in a war with Dustin Poirier, and Dustin in a war is just a lot more level-headed and able to find the the moments that he needs than Justin is. Justin's more of a like low kick you forty-five times. And then eventually you're just too slow to get away from his offense and he can kind of start cro- like closing distance with huge shots and, and start beating you up against the cage. Whereas Dustin, he just needs a few really nice counters and his counter punching game has actually gotten quite a lot better since their last fight. I think that's maybe the, the biggest development is that though he has developed the ability to mix it up a bit more, you know, the, the Connor fight being an example or the fact that he submitted Michael Chandler and wasn't immediately just trying to stand up. And also just had good ideas overall throughout his every fight since then. Like the Dan Hooker fight, the way he was just willing to to take the fight on top towards the end of it after a, a really hard-fought fight. I, I think those are all good things when fighting Justin Gaethje. But I think his counterpunching looking a lot crisper ever since then is the biggest development. Because his strengths got better, whereas Gaethje just got more more to his game he got a more versatile game to where he can kind of fight on the back foot more comfortably than he used to be able to he he's still able to fight on the front foot in spots but he it's not really like a fixture to his game the way it used to be it used to be uh, a one-size-fits-all approach to every fight and then he lost two fights and all of a sudden was like shit i need more depth but dustin didn't need to change his game in the way that justin did dustin just kind of perfected his style a bit more he's still got the same issues you know that, that i mentioned before you know like being counterable going forward you know being liable to getting put on the cage but those aren't as big of issues as in his game as just not being able to counterpunch as efficiently back then but now he can pull his head out of range his, his defense has just gotten better through experience i i think it's dustin's fight to lose i, I think he 
should have everything he needs to win the fight comfortably. I mean, as comfortably as you're ever going to fight against Justin Gaethje, I think it's going to be hard fought no matter what. But I do think that Dustin has everything he needs to win the fight. And I'm not sure if I trust Justin to fight the fight he needs. Yeah, I agree with pretty much all of that, but I guess I'm just going to like elaborate on it a little bit more. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I uh, I can kind of see what you say about like uh, Justin Gaethje still being capable of winning this fight with a pressuring approach uh, if he's insistent about it. But um, I don't really expect him to take that approach because we just haven't haven't really seen it in a while and uh like like it does appear that there has been some kind of change in temperament that has informed his stylistic evolution but on the other hand i do think um him taking this more back foot counter punching approach could actually serve him against dustin poirier um, since he was having success with the low kicks, if he, rather than using them as part part of a pressuring approach, you know, ch- tries more jabbing with Dustin and kicking him from long range and trying to draw uh, Dustin into exchange and force him to lead, because as you say, uh, Dustin Poirier just has a lot of issues mechanically coming forward, like he crosses his feet a lot and uh, his defense is not as well suited to uh, keeping him safe after he uh, initiates exchanges. It, it, it's much better suited to uh, finding his own counters off of the back foot. So if Justin Gaethje is able to use his range, able to use his ranged offense uh, to force uh, Dustin to chase him, then you know, Gaethje's improved counter punching ability definitely. Uh, um, opens up some opportunities to find serious shots on Dustin Poirier. It's not like we've never seen Dustin Poirier knocked out in an, ex- in an exchange or just uh, dinged by a quick right hand because he got a bit wacky chasing someone down with a shift. Yeah, even the, the Charles Oliveira fight showed instances of him just not being comfortable of someone's showing counters when he's he's progressing at them. And he got dropped in the first round by Max Holloway. Well, was exactly what you we're talking about earlier where he just like just tap a tap taps his lead hand and then just steps in with a huge rear hand and steps through and crosses his feet and then someone just someone just pops him with a straight shot while he's doing that and he gets dinged but on the other hand Justin Gaethje's uh this kind of evolution into more more of an outfighting counterfighter does have something of a veil of slickness that isn't necessarily there because as we say he hasn't made that many like real technical defensive improvements. It is more about temperament and approach uh, by which he keeps himself safer in fights these days, and that's able to make him look like a counter punching guard against a, a shot Tony Ferguson or Donald Cerrone. But it, you know, it it is something of a like highly evolved uh, Bart Simpson fighting. Where you, you you know you just uh you just say that that there that, that there is just a force field of punches around me that you will get hit by if you come close to me. 
What he really hasn't developed, and you see this against someone who's able to pressure him consistently against someone like Charles Oliveira, what he hasn't developed is any kind of ability to subtract his opponent's offense, to take tools away from his opponent and you know, break them down and really control the fight because you know, not, no, no one really does that in MMA apart from Alexander Volkanovsky. You know, uh, as you say, Justin Gaethje and Dustin Poirier are both guys who have craft but more than anything are built to thrive in insane wars uh, where they can be the more focused and resourceful guy in an insane and chaotic fight. And uh, Dustin Poirier just doesn't really lose those fights. Like You need to be able to take things away from him and make him uncomfortable in his in, in take him away from the kind of fight that he wants to have because he just doesn't he just doesn't lose wars anymore even the fight with Charles Oliveira Charles Oliveira had to be a guy who could hang in a war with Dustin Poirier and then do things to to take uh, the fight that Dustin Poirier wanted to have away from him and Unless Justin Gaethje suddenly decides that wrestling is the play for like the first time in his career ever, uh, what, 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 what does he have that, 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 that he can use in that way? And even if he does wrestle, he might just like get guillotined. Yeah, I, I think if he wrestles, then it's more likely to just be a slam and then just take a little bit of ground and pound offense. Or, or, like, do a little bit of ground and pound. Because he, in his earlier career, like, before the UFC, he would occasionally just do a big power slam because he's, he's always been very strong. And he is a good offensive wrestler. He just doesn't really go for it. Uh, he Like, he got a takedown at the end of the Fazia fight, but it was mostly just to secure the rounds and, and uh, or, like, steal the round from MMA judges and also to keep himself safe in the last 20 seconds. But I think something that is actually difficult for for Gage is that we just don't have the proof that he can put on a fight like he did against Tony Ferguson against Dustin Poirier because Dustin is so fucking hard to to nullify his offense and take it away from him because he's just willing to eat shit to try the same thing over and over again which is something that Tony Ferguson also is willing to do but Tony just was too old and didn't really have any firepower to to fire back and even still he he dropped Justin and and people really misremember that fight in thinking that Justin completely shut him out Tony had his moments Tony like got some offense off he was always in the fight until like the third late third round yeah i i, I thought Tony was Winning the second round, leading up to uh, like 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 he didn't just steal the round with uh, dropping Gaethje with that uppercut at the end of the round. Yeah, I, I don't trust Justin at all to be able to shut down Dustin's offense with that same approach. But also, I do think it is theoretically possible. It's just I I, I do think a, a difficulty for for Dustin it, actually because uh, I've mostly talked about how it's a hard fight for for Justin, but I think a difficulty for uh, Dustin is that Justin mostly has, it's so confusing with them having the same fucking name, basically, with a single letter difference. It just sounds so clunky. Uh, but uh, an issue that Poirier runs into is that Gaethje normally has troubles against people that are very tight mechanical punchers, uh, which is not the case for Dustin. He has very nice punches. He's one of the best boxers in MMA history. But mechanically, he's not as crisp as some fighters like Charles Oliveira. 
Charles basically fuck like beat the shit out of Gaethje off of having incredibly crisp mechanics for an MMA fighter. He landed a gorgeous right hand out of the clinch to to drop Gaethje. It's it's a lot of things that he doesn't see coming because of how clean they are. Whereas Dustin is not nearly as sneaky. Surprisingly, like his his shots are more. If he does land at something sneaky on you, it's normally him putting like twenty percent power onto it just to like land it crisp. And that's all you need, really, if you're a good enough counterpuncher. He has incredible timing. He has, uh, like, very, very, like, good hitting power, even when he's hitting light comparatively to how hard he can hit. But most of his offense is throw away a couple shots and then land a big power shot, whereas Gaethje's a bit more susceptible to just getting hit by the first big shot that you try and counter him with. Uh, it, It feels like whenever you're tapping offense at him and then you crack him with a few ones uh, towards the end of a, a combination. Those ones, he's he's prepared to eat, you know? The, if you just show, like, four jabs in his face, he's ready to eat a huge power punch to the chin, even if he doesn't know exactly when it's coming. Whereas Charles was hitting him in spots that he just did not expect to be hit. hit. He would throw a low kick and just get blasted by a straight. He would uh, try and dip out of the clinch and just get fucking rammed by a shot over his shoulder. But Dustin's... Uh, I mean, I mean, you can even take the finish sequence in uh, their first fight where Dustin had been landing really nice volume throughout the fight, but then the shot he knocks him out with, it was just a single, like, crisp counter as he was going for a low kick. He had landed a ton on him, but the first shot that actually, like, finished him, basically, was just a single shot counter. And overall, I do think that, uh, I, I think that Dustin has the ability to get good offense off on Justin. Th- like through his his volume style, I I don't think that's something he should abandon at all. But I do think he needs to go for a lot more single shot counters than he has traditionally gone for. Because Justin just isn't as comfortable with getting hit by the first shot someone throws at him as he is when someone's just going kind of brawling with him. Which you know, Dustin Poirier also may be more equipped to do at this point. I, as you were saying, I would earlier, agree. I totally agree about his improvements as a counter puncher, and it's hard to really nail down what they are other than it's that, that just. It's the kind of improvements that you're going to make with that style when you just have a fuck ton of experience at the high level. You, like it, there, there, there is just a feel that you develop for that kind of fighting that you only see with, uh, you know, re- really, really special athletes that are real students of the game. You know, there's a, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of Robbie Lawler in Dustin Poirier. Yeah, and. and- in the, the same vein as comparing him to other great fighters, he has a bit of Arturo Gatti to him in that he can look incredibly slick in uh, certain spots whenever it's the play. I think the Conor McGregor 2 fight is the biggest example of that. He really just focused on looking very tight and concise with all of his attacks. But then other fights, he's just going to fucking go at you if you're really like hitting him with shots. Uh, Charles Oliveira fight being the best example of that recently. Or, or even the Dan Hooker one, where he tr- kind of tries looks like a bit, and then it's just not working. Yeah, and then e- even in even in the Conor McGregor fight, where he's trying to have a more controlled uh, kind of subtract subtractive performance, you still see that just the uh, really violent killer instinct that Dustin Poirier just has deep in his soul when he lands a good shot on Conor McGregor and feels that he is capitulating. You know, you. It's like the quintessential Dustin Poirier finishing sequence where he just throws like 19 punches in succession 
and like three of them land really clean and nice and knock the guy fucking dead. The yeah, the the finishing sequence for the Connor 2 fight was pretty much Connor positionally gave Dustin the green light to just go hard because Connor has very bad offense when his he's behind the black line. He he just turned him around and then Dustin was like, "Oh, he's not circling out. Oh, he's fucked." And then he just went at him. So yeah, I'm also going to pick Dustin Poirier. I am kind of weirdly tempted to pick him by submission because it also just seems like something that he's more likely to go for now. <laughs> I understand the urge. I My expectation, though, is that Justin is just someone that you have to actually establish a control position on to be able to submit or go for submissions that do inherently give you some control, like a mounted triangle or uh, an armbar from mount or a, an RNC after you've like hurt him. Something like that. The, just things that Charles Oliveira's dexterity allowed him to get, or Khabib's uh, like instinct for control positions allowed him to get. I, th- I do think if it's a submission, it's still a club and sub. So I, I'll just say knockout. Yeah, and even then, I, I think he would he would just on uh, on principle wanted to want to just finish him with ground and pound if he hurts him. Justin also uh, he got like standing TKO'd basically in their first fight, so. That's, I mean, basically the exact same result is also live. What if nothing fucking changed and it's just them both being better at the same things that they were already at, already good at, and uh, the fight just ends maybe in the third round instead of the fourth? Uh, it's usually what happens with MMA rematches, really. Yeah, like all the stuff we just laid out, we just talked about the fight for longer than the fight is going to go, and it, it could just be as simple as, hey, watch the first fight and then, you know, you'll see what happens in this one. Because both guys are, are not in particular like the best adjusters uh, when it comes to like pre-fight game planning. It's more just Trevor Whitman is a good tactical coach and Dustin Poirier has a good instinct for boxing and watches tape. So they'll be like, oh, you should pull counter him more, Dustin, even though he's done that in all of his last four fights. It's like his instinct is – or his uh, – when he watches tape, he's like, oh, he's pull counterable. Yeah, because he's an MMA fighter. You can, you can pull counter nearly every MMA fighter pretty comfortably. Uh, and then Justin's going to be like, oh, I should leg kick him more. It's like, yeah, he's an MMA fighter. You can leg kick him basically when you want to. So the the fight's going to be... It's going to be good. Like I, I don't think there's any chance that the fight's bad. But realistically, we could have just talked about so much shit that doesn't even end up coming up. That is fight analysis. Okay, so co-main event, another fantastic Sick fight. fight. Sick fight. Uh, we got Alex Pereira uh, moving up to light heavyweight, having just uh, lost the rematch to Israel Adesanya by knockout in a fight where he looked great and just got slept. And uh, he's fighting Jan Blachowicz. Um Jan Blachowicz probably kind of passed it, but also probably has been for a while and has still been like kind of winning fights and looking fine. And um, is this smart matchmaking for Alex Pereira because Jan Blachowicz is just like the kickboxer of the division? Or is this horrible matchmaking for Alex Pereira because Jan Blachowicz is actually a decent kickboxer in some regards? I think he's a very good kickboxer. I think it's both, but in 
like hindsight bias is definitely gonna be prevalent after this fight because if Jan grapples him effectively and wins or he just out jabs him on the feet and then uh, uh, no matter what I think if the fight goes long enough he's gonna get to the grappling uh, unless he gets finished in like the first round and a half I I think he's gonna engage in some sort of grappling because if he doesn't he's stupid and Jan Blovich is not a stupid fighter uh, but also it's good matchmaking in the sense that this is going to be someone that is not going to be scared to strike with him because Blahovich is not scared to strike with anybody. I think you could put him in a fight against fucking Francis Ngannou. He'd still try some shit on the feet. Like he'd still engage on the, on the striking a little bit. He just has a lot of confidence in both his jab and his ability to find counter offense and ability to like hit people at the end of exchanges because he has good reason to be confident in that. He's very good at it. But I think that unless Pereira is just incredibly regressed post-Izzy fight, or he's just really easy to grapple post-move uh, up to light heavyweight, because, you know, he, he's a striker going up a weight class. You, you would assume that he's probably a bit more liable to get grappled. But then again, he's massive. You know, he's he's one of the larger fighters in the sport, regardless of weight class. He he's, he's was fighting at middleweight, but you see him next to Tyson Fury, and he's like the same size. So, yeah, and uh, no one grapples at light heavyweight. No, uh, it's it seems like in theory a, a weight class that is kind of built for a, a, an elite kickboxer to feast on. But you know the the one instance we saw of an elite striker moving up prior to this was Israel Adesanya going against the exact same matchup and then he lost because he got he hung in with the striking i think Jan Blahovich arguably won the striking but it was competitive it was a the fact that it was competitive was surprising to a lot of people but then the grappling showed up and he was just not big enough to really stand up at all uh i i think an advantage that Pereira has going into this fight is that he knows uh he has the power to really put away Blahovich because Blahovich has been left hookable as fuck his entire career. He, he got uh, left hooked really badly by Tiago Santos, most famously. But then in his uh, title f- loss to Glover Teixeira, he gets cracked by a big left hook. And of course, you know, the grappling threat played a lot into it. But A totally different context for both shots. <laughs> yeah, it, it's still a left hook hurting him. And uh, in the way that he was worried about a takedown, he's probably going to be worried about like the body jab. So, body jab and a left hook, a staple of Pereira's game at this point. Uh, and it's something that I'm expecting to probably work. I, and also, something that's strange about uh, Blahovich's jab is he's really good at winning a jabbing battle, but we've only seen him win a really good jabbing battles or compete in them against people that are mostly going to jab at the head, whereas Pereira's... He's got a good body jab and a head jab. So what if his body jab defense just leaves enough to be desired to where he gets kind of fucked up with counter shots from reaching down low trying to parry it? I'm not, I'm not sure how many times I've seen someone even try and body jab Lahovich. So my assumption is that it's probably a lot worse than his... His ability to parry a body jab is probably a lot worse than his ability to parry a head jab. It seems like kind of surface-level analysis, but I think it's going to be prudent, especially in a matchup where you're fighting Pereira and something such as body jab defense is really important to pin down because if you just eat the body jabs, the body jabs will do good work. He has a very powerful jab. He's just incredibly powerful. He can hit you with uh, like a jab to the to the thigh, and it'll fuck you up eventually with it. 
So you, you have to worry about his offense. There's a reason his body job is being respected by Sean Strickland. It's not just because Sean Strickland tries to be a defensive perfectionist and get pick off all offense. It's because the body job is affecting him. Yeah. And also stifling his offense. Same with like Alex Pereira's kicks, which... Um, yeah, they're not going to teach you to kick like that in a Thai gym. He doesn't really like commit to them super hard with turning his hip over and like loading the kicks and stuff. But that also just means they come out really quickly. And it also, like, like fucking look at that guy. No matter how he's slinging his shin at you, it's not going to feel good. You have to respect all of his offense. And Jan Blachowicz has a tendency to. Look, it was funny how much the, uh, I mean, it's uh, something that we've memed on repeatedly, how much the commentary was, uh, or Joe Rogan in, in particular, was fixating on Jan Blachowicz. He's biting on every feint like while he's winning a jab battle. Um, yeah, Blachowicz definitely, he is certainly defensively responsible, but... Uh, Potentially to his detriment, he also, you know, in the way you were talking about, does like can have pretty exaggerated defensive reactions to stuff. Um, uh, what if this is like the first fight where the fact that he actually checks kicks comes back to bite him because Pereira can actually just like kick through it or just like faint a kick and then just like ding Blahovich with a real long straight. Uh, while he's on one leg that just most people like either aren't going to think to set up or just aren't, just don't really have the the range to to be able to land clean yeah uh, right low kick into left hook also a, a big worry for Blahovich something you mentioned earlier which is uh, Pereira's kicks being kind of mechanically goofy but effective is it kind of makes you think about the fact that they're kicks and punches are kind of mirrored like uh Pereira is a lot better of a puncher he doesn't he's not a shoulder like he's not an arm puncher whereas Blahovich is but he's a good arm puncher and then Pereira he's not like he doesn't have great mechanics for his low kicks when it comes to like theoretical perfection but he has really powerful kicks even though they and like effective kicks as well and very quick despite not being the most mechanically efficient you know what well, on the one hand you might call a mechanical deficiency still like it makes them a lot harder to read and it makes it a lot more it works to both guys advantages yeah in the, in the same way that it allows uh Pereira to kind of set up his offense in sneaky ways that people don't see coming because because he doesn't load up on it as much yeah fucking people r- routinely get dinged by slappy arm left hooks from Jan Blahovich because they're because they're worrying about what his fucking hips are doing. Yeah, and he has big hands. He's gonna hurt you even if he's just like just tapping your chin. I, I think uh, people were clowning on Pereira having Sean Strickland as someone he's training with, but in a way, it's actually pretty useful for developing the ability to read an arm coming at you versus reading a shoulder or a hip uh, input that kind of makes you able to tell whenever something's coming at you because Sean Strickland and Jan Blachowicz both infamously arm punchers just a differing effect and Pereira's fought an entire kickboxing career against people who like have good yeah so we got to see that it hit you know Sean Strickland being an arm puncher was not difficult for Pereira to navigate at fucking all uh but he doesn't hit hard yeah key difference there Sean Strickland 
does not hit hard and is just dramatically smaller. Yeah. Jan Blachowicz, he is a, a long-range fighter who can fight Pereira at his range. I haven't looked at the numbers, but they've got to be pretty close to each other in terms of height and reach. Yeah, I believe Blachowicz has 77-inch reach. Yeah, and Pereira is the more established, like, size bully. He, you know, he's the guy who insisted on making middleweight as a well, as a guy who looks like a heavyweight for so long because yeah he's a little bit of a Jalen Turner he's he's slicker than Jalen Turner but he still just he just likes to be able to fuck people up while he's really far away from them and yeah. y- you know Jan Blachowicz has fought plenty of guys who are kickboxers roughly his height and reach he wins those it's fights. also uh, in a way very hard to extrapolate whether or not the Israel Adesanya fight is useful to view as like an analysis tool going into this fight because Pereira and Adesanya, despite having very similar frames, have dramatically different attributes. Uh, like one, Pereira, he's in theory the same height and uh, he actually has shorter reach than Adesanya, but he fights longer than, than Adesanya, which I think a lot of people would disagree with. But if you w- just watch the way Pereira fights, he, he can kind of stick you at the end of his range of the jab a lot more insistently than Adesanya is because it's a lot more dangerous to slip his his jab. Uh, It's a lot more dangerous to try and navigate his range tools than it is Adesanya's. And there's also more downside to giving him the range that he wants whenever you just kind of give ground anytime he shows something. Uh, And also, his kicks are about the same length regardless and he he fights with a about the same amount of range tools but they're just more dangerous so you you really have to respect them more than you do Adesanya uh I think if you know Blahovich is is having a jabbing battle with Pereira his chances of getting uh like hooked off the jab are astronomically higher than they were against Adesanya because even if that were to happen against Adesanya he's not going to get dinged and like knocked out by the very first shot that lands that's a that's a counter that it's very good, or, or like a, a mix-up that's very useful his- historically, but it's something that if you have power, it's like 50 times more useful. Because otherwise you're just getting like nice little offense off and kind of making your jab more effective, whereas if you hit really fucking hard, you're just winning the fight with your, your hook off the jab. So things like that, where Pereira works off of his jab in a lot more traditional of a way than Adesanya will. Adesanya, he'll, he'll jab you and then he'll start using the jab feint to feint the low kick and then he'll, he'll start landing low kicks off that. Then he'll, you know, start feinting the jab and then like kind of slip a shot and rip you to the body and then frame out and, you know, get out of range. Pereira, he'll just jab, left hook, jab, 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 left hook, jab, low kick. It's uh, more traditional, but I think more effective against someone like Jan Blachowicz, who is just really trying to like read everything you're trying to do and and generally stay safe. But staying safe is a death sentence against Pereira because you, you can't just stay safe. You have to actually hurt him. You have to show him things that he's not expecting. And I think if they end up in situations where in the clinch, uh, Blachowicz is going to be having a lot of troubles getting uh, Pereira in in any sort of danger in the clinch, unless he, he just instantly goes for the takedown, which realistically is very possible because Pereira has not looked good defensively with his grappling. Uh, he, in fact, got grappled by Adesanya in their first fight. So, or yeah, any fight. What if, what if Jan Blachowicz, just on being someone who 
probably can't win, but can at least has at least has tools to hang with Pereira at, at his range in his preferred kind of fight. Um, but what if, in addition to that, uh, it turns out that Jan Blachowicz is just uh, very large and a perfectly serviceable MMA offensive wrestler and top player? And what if that's just enough and suddenly someone who's just uh, Pereira's size uh, actually just is able to grapple him now? Um, I kind of want to pick Jan Blachowicz, but I... Uh, uh, he's just going to get knocked out with a left hook at some point, right? I'm incredibly tempted to pick Blahovich by like a really sneaky sub in the clinch or something. Because, you know, the, the possibility that Pereira just tries to frame out as he's a bit closer to the cage than he thinks he is, and then he just scoops up like an arm triangles while standing and then kind of use that to trip him to the ground. That's a real possibility. Or, you know... He just takes him down. <laughs> so, so specific. I, I don't even think it's it's like that crazy though. Like I think there's a real possibility that could happen. And then it's the kind of thing yeah. that has happened in Yamblo. And then Pereira also he could just get taken down off of a, a weird exchange, and and then where they ended up clinching, and then he gets kind of tripped out and like weighted over because Pereira looks a lot heavier than he is, despite the fact I've been talking about how fucking huge he is because he is massive but he also looks bigger than he is in a lot of ways because of his frame he is he is also yeah, he's lanky. very lanky like he he's not uh like a tank in in the way that i would normally expect someone going up to still be a good defensive wrestler i think though his frame only uh suffers negatives when it comes to grappling by going up a weight class i don't think he's going to be stronger than he was at light at a uh, at middleweight i think he's gonna be more likely to get top gamed by someone just being heavy so Blahovich getting on top of him not impossible that Blahovich could just rnc him you know Blahovich has nice chokes he could he could fucking drop down on a dars something like that he, he has a, a serviceable enough submission game to where i do not think Pereira is safe at all in if they end up grappling uh but then again you know the likelihood of that happening uh is also not necessarily the highest, depending on what lessons Blahovich has learned from his previous fight against Kickbark. Yeah, because I, I don't know if Blahovich even went for a takedown until like the fourth round. Yeah, so much of that could have been Adesanya being less dangerous, uh, just on like power threat. But also, we don't know that. Yeah, I mean, Yan really might just come away from that thinking. Well, I beat the other elite kickboxer from middleweight who tried to come up a division. I can just do that again. And um, I, I don't think that's a winning fight against Alex Pereira, uh, even though, like I said, he does have tools to keep him in the fight and can probably land some sneaky shit. Uh, he mostly confounds MMA strikers by just like, having a good jab and low kick and he can defend low kicks. And then when people uh, just like try to close distance on him because they're getting annoyed with having to fight a range with him, they just get like dinged in the clinch. Um, I just expect Alex Pereira to like have the striking acumen to actually navigate that and uh, to be, you know, he's just obviously the much more dangerous one in the fight. 
you know, he he he's the one who like, you know, being the kind of fighter who really tries to see everything and tries to stay tight defensively can genuinely come back to just get you absolutely fucking annihilated. You know, uh, although Pereira himself, you know, it's not like he can't be countered when he's the one uh, coming forward, putting his own offense together, as we saw in his last fight. Uh, you know, the fights where he we've really seen him dismantled as a kickboxer were people who pressured him, pushed him back, hit him in the body, people who just didn't let him set stuff up from long range and be the one dictating the terms of the engagement. But that's not Jan Blachowicz. Uh, he, so, but um, I don't know, just whatever happens when it happens, it's going to seem so fucking obvious, but I don't know which way I'm actually leaning on it. Yeah, all I know is that Blahovich has the ability to land good blocker blitzes on Pereira. Something I noticed watching Dave is that Pereira really is kickable on the end of exchanges whenever he's trying to retreat out of them. Happened a bunch against Bruno Silva. He's still just a, a, a long boy who will just leap straight back and just most of the time be able to be far away from people. You know, Jan Blahovich will keep chasing you down in those situations, but also Pereira is uh, more equipped than most people Jan Blachowicz has fought to actually just stand there and fucking murder him while he's barreling forward, tro- crossing his feet the way Tiago Santos did. Yeah, Pereira could use getting block blitzed to let the kick kind of like send him off to cut an angle with his check hook. <laughs> it, it could just kind of throw him out of the way, him getting body kicked really hard, and then he still has long enough arms to whip a huge left hook to his head. Um... Oh, and, and then something that's just very basic, but Pereira mixes in work to the body a lot more consistently than anyone we've seen Blahovich look good against. So his offense, or his defense to the head, probably going to falter quite a bit once he starts eating hard straights and left hooks to the body, or even like right hooks to the body. Uh, like, if, if Pereira is consistently on the front foot, it is a fucking nightmare matchup for Blahovich. Do you have a pick then? My heart wants to pick Blahovich by sub in like round one or two, but I'm gonna pick the, the, like the pick to do, which is Pereira by knockout in the first round. Yeah, me too. But we laid out the ways that Blahovich can win. We aren't dumb if if Blahovich wins. So I've been wrong about these Jan Blahovich fights many times before. I would love to. I'd love that to happen again. And of course, you know. Blahovich hits really hard, and it's MMA. There's a history of light heavyweight uh, MMA kickboxers getting absolutely fucking obliterated by someone that theoretically is a lot below their level, but, you know, it's MMA, and Pereira's coming off of a knockout loss at, like, 36. Okay, what do we got? Uh, oh, Steve Thompson fucking... versus Michelle Pereira. Oh, that fight's sick. Okay, well, Christian, you're the leading expert in the field of Michelle Pereira, so... Tell me about this one. Uh, he's certainly going to surprise Stephen Thompson with his ability to close range at certain points, assuming that Pereira isn't just entirely terrified to, to come forward. Uh, I do want to acknowledge there's a real chance this fight fucking sucks, which I oh, yeah. I do not say lightly uh, because I very much enjoy both. And I feel like a lot of people are assuming the fight to be fireworks because they both do like crazy shit. But... The chances that Pereira is just fucking scared as hell to come forward 
decently high. He does not like being counterpunched. Uh, he, he might really go for the grappling. I, I would not be surprised at all if he hunts for the grappling. The oh, that would suck so much, yeah, and it's the, a real possibility. Yeah, the fight's going to look messy no matter what happens. I think if Pereira works up the courage to go forward, uh, then he's going to be able to surprise Thompson with speed, but also that's going to be a short-lived success because Thompson is is wise to a guy just exploding across distance and getting countered. So it, it's a it's a very awkward matchup that's basically impossible to predict exactly what happens because Michelle Pereira in particular isn't enough of an X-factor to where if he's just feeling himself that night, I could see him looking great and also winning by sub or something. Uh, but if he looks bad but also brave, then he probably gets knocked out really hard in the first couple rounds. I am going to pick... Uh, I think the fight's just going to be a split decision where one judge sees uh, like two more body kicks than the other guy saw, or like a sidekick from Thompson, and then another judge is like, oh, but Pereira, he was going... He, he tried some shit, he did a few blitzes. But just the way that Pereira's shot selection matches up with Steven Thompson's general positioning and his shot selection weaknesses, it makes me think that Pereira doesn't have very much offense uh, for Thompson unless Thompson has just suddenly fallen off a cliff, which we have absolutely no reason to believe he has. Yeah. Um, is this I don't know if Michelle Pereira is a good wrestler, but he'll try it. And he's fast and strong. And he basically just out wrestled Nico Price. Yeah, he uh, he also out wrestled um, Zelim Imadayev. Yeah, I mean, he he also just did whatever he wanted the whole time yeah. in that fight. <laughs> that, that, um, that is fair. Yeah, Stephen Thompson basically still looks like himself as long as he is just striking. Uh, Michelle Pereira, I think you've kind of talked about this before, but. It's funny because people think of him as, you know, people think of like the capoeira shit and the flips and the like licking his hand and slapping Zalim Imadayev and the silly shit. And they, you know, they, 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 see, they see all the showmanship, the, the wacky cross-footed, like flashy footwork that just is there to look cool and has no kind of function other than, I guess, Sometimes people see it and they're like, oh, what's he doing? And, and it kind of lets him set up like weird offense against people who are just like scared shitless of him, like Danny Roberts. Um, Stephen Thompson, very, very consistent counterpuncher. Uh, I think if Michelle Pereira tries to go forward basically at all, he just gets like fade back left handed repeatedly. Um, and I think you're right. I think there's a good chance that that happens like one time and he's like, oh, I did not like that. And the fight kind of ends up being a, a stinker from range where neither guy really wants to come forward and they're both just kind of doing doing like silly feints and cutters at each other from really far away. Um, I'm not sure how willing Stephen Thompson really is to let that fight that kind of fight happen anymore yeah i i do think that the holland fight leaves um leaves me with the idea that he might just beat the ever-living piss shit out of prayer if Pereira is too scared of him because he, he's not the fighter that he was like seven years ago whenever he was having shitter fights with uh with tyron woodley and darren till like um 
you know, for what for whatever reason, Darren Till was able to force Stephen Thompson uh, to respect his counter punching enough to just get that kind of just you like know the, the sidekick to the knee whack late career Machida fight out out, out of him. But yeah, uh, you know when 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 Kevin Holland was like starting to fall apart or even just like uh, showed that he didn't really have anything off of the back foot, Stephen Thompson really had no problem chasing him down. Fucking him up against the cage. Uh, the- oh God! Oh no! No! What if Michelle Pereira does that stupid fucking Superman straight? Where he pushes off of the cage and he knocks Stephen Thompson out. Oh no! Uh, could happen. But also, he throws it straight, whereas uh, Pettis hooked it because Pettis is an educated counterpuncher who has an eye for shot selection in very niche scenarios. That Pereira, even though he does all that insane shit, he's very rote with it. Uh, yes. Which is not something what people would generally expect. Like, I think he has drilled jumping off of a wall and throwing a straight punch before. Oh, yeah, that was the point that I think I kind of got sidetracked from before is like, People think of him as like a crazy creative guy. His actual shot selection that he uses to fill space in fights is pretty pared down, and as you say, it's pretty rote. He is a he is a mostly a one twos and front kicks guy. Yeah, if he's feeling froggy, he'll throw in like a straight to the body. Uh, but he, I, I don't know. I think that if. Thompson is landing consistently. He's probably just going to push Pereira back. And then if Pereira's on the cage, he's going to panic and get, you know, just bamboozled by speed and, like, really good accuracy. Uh, although, w- worth mentioning, we have not seen uh, Michelle Pereira lose to anyone good yet. We've only seen him lose to really bad fighters, like uh, 2020 Diego Sanchez and 2019 Tristan Connolly. And and then like 2018, Dusko Todorovic. Did he beat uh, Chaos Williams? Yeah, he beat Santiago Ponzinibbio, Fialio, Nico Price, uh, Chaos Williams, and Zlim Imadayev is better than Diego Sanchez and Tristan Connolly, I would say, despite not being very good. And then he beat Daniel, Danny Roberts before that. So basically, you give him someone decent, and he's going to have a go- okay performance. And, and this is by far the best. I mean, as I say, da- Danny Roberts is like, uh, is just like designed in a factory to get knocked out by Michelle Pereira. Yeah, yeah, I would agree. <laughs> even, even though he is athletic and technical and all of these things, it, it's a problem for Michelle Pereira to to get put on the back foot enough to where I'm not really going to use that type of meme analysis to to give any weight to it. Uh, I feel like Stephen Thompson is depending on who you ask, uh, incredibly underrated or incredibly overrated. I I feel like assessing Steven Thompson accurately and without bias is one of the rarest things you'll find in MMA dialogue or or like discourse. Yeah, because everyone either says he's the greatest striker in MMA history or they say he sucks and he was never good at anything. Yeah, they'll say he's a fucking fraud and, and is like not even that good of a kickboxer. When like, you you can believe you like two things can be true at once like he can have a bad kickboxing record uh, like when it comes to its actual relevance and importance while still being one of the best strikers in mma history like the the two are not mutually exclusive uh he's one of the hardest guys to track down in the sport and he's really fucking annoying to to fight in any regard and his worst performances 
they're a lot more understandable than people give them credit for. You know, the Tyron Woodley and Darren Till fights being the main two that he gets a lot of shit for, but those make complete sense to me. Uh, Tyron Woodley has a massive overhand and double leg, and he is really good at picking off single shots coming at him against the fence, and he puts himself against the fence in a way that most fighters do not. So it is just a very awkward fight to go against. And he also got punished whenever he did try and lead against Tyron Woodley enough to where it, it, I get it. You know, I'm not like, oh, he fucking shit the bed. He looks so bad. It makes sense. Uh, and then Darren Till, he's fucking huge. He was streaking at the time and had tons of confidence and genuinely was overperforming, uh, like quite, quite substantially. Like, uh, uh, that was a historical level of overperformance for like a three fight lead up into eventually becoming kind of irrelevant. But Darren Till was doing nice sidekicks. He also injured, uh, like wonder boy with one of the like earlier instances of him just sidekicking the knee. He was fighting very awkwardly and kind of out of character. So I get why he, he kind of let that fight slip away and eventually got dropped and lost a decision that. And also a lot of people just think wonder boy won. And, and that he got robbed. So if you just think about the context uh, and all the surrounding factors behind why he looked bad in those fights, they make complete sense. And then you put him against literally anyone else that's good. And he puts on an insane fight. Johnny Hendricks fight. Fucking sick. Jeff Neal fight. Amazing. Luke a fight. One of the best fights of that year. He is. An inc- yeah. And then Kevin Holland, one of the best fights of that year. He is an incredibly exciting fighter. He just is matchup dependent and is uh he's defensively responsible enough to where he's not going to put himself in danger if he thinks that he has a path to victory through like a very pared down yeah i I don't care about all of the best striker ever discourse but i will throw down with anyone who says that stephen thompson isn't fun and cool like he's had tons of fantastically exciting performances uh like no one gives Bobby Knuckles shit for having had a whack fight with Darren Till. Even though they should, because that one was more embarrassing by a lot, honestly. Uh, yeah, like, like, like these things happen sometimes to cool, exciting action fighters. And it's been a really long time. It, it, it's why I'm, I'm not even sure if it's a matchup thing so much as it is that Stephen Thompson actually learned from those experiences and isn't That's fair. going to let himself have that kind of fight anymore. Um. So I'm going to pick Stephen Thompson by knockout because it would be cool. Yeah, I'm going to pick him by uh, a very wide decision because it's three the, rounds. It's still a split for some rounds. reason. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's still a split because Pereira does like, he knocks him down with a fucking spinning back fist or something. Uh, the It's a, a, an interesting fight that I'm very excited for despite the fact it's very awkward and hard to talk about. Uh, yeah, but I, I just I have to ride for Wonderboy because I've accidentally developed a bias towards him from having to defend him against people that are like wrongfully talking too much down on him. There's people that will, with a straight face, tell you that Tiago Alves is a better striker than Wonderboy, and I'm just not going to stand for that shit. He like Wonderboy's top ten strikers in MMA history, but that's not like that hard to be a part of, you know. Like it's it's 
a kind of short list for the top five. The top five, it's pretty clear. But then after that, you can kind of just insert who anyone that's really good and it's like there. Who, who cares? He's just he's just he's an awesome, fun fighter. He's watch. sick, like, and he has insane even, longevity. Even other than the fights that you mentioned, that like, you know, taking Jorge Masvidal to school. He, he, you know, he knocked out Robert Whitaker before it was cool. Uh, his second fight in the UFC with Matt Brown and went to war with a seasoned veteran like that. Mad respect for Wonderboy. He also subverts a lot of people's expectations for a karate fighter in that he fights flashy, but he's a fucking dog. He's a gritty motherfucker. He is uh, violent, and you know you have the the classic an- anecdote about. Uh, him talking about how he's intentionally trying to kick people in the, in the brainstem and he says it stone-faced not recognizing how fucking evil that is it's a really effective angle to knock people out from <laughs> yeah he, he's a filthy fighter he he does what he has to do to win normally he just has some fights in his past that have like made him look like he's not as good as he is yeah I, I, ask jake ellenberger how much of a nice guy stephen thompson is. yeah <laughs> Ask fucking Kevin Holland, who was, you know, joking throughout the fight, and then the second that Stephen Thompson had even the slightest edge, he took it and started beating the fucking shit out of him. You know, because Kevin Holland, he didn't engage with the grappling anytime he ended up accidentally being on top of Wonderboy, but if Wonderboy ended up in that same situation, he would have taken a submission if it was free. He wants the win. He's a competitor. He got on top when he dropped Kevin Holland. Yep. Okay. Um, Tony Ferguson's fighting Bobby Green. I mean, I guess if Tony Ferguson still insists on fighting, that I don't mind this kind of fight for him. But I don't even really want to watch this, to be honest. Tony Ferguson looks uh, about as shot as it's possible for a great fighter to look against Nate Diaz. Just looked like he forgot how to fight. Uh, looked like his chin was absolutely dust. You know, Nate Diaz. Certainly a respectable puncher, um, and like a you know a, a crafty boxer, but he's not like a power guy. And Tony Ferguson, I mean, used to have both an insane chin and really good defense. Didn't have either. He just, you know, still won the fight in spots because Nate Diaz is also shot and just low kickable. He just like still got pushed into the fence and fucked up with a right hook and then submitted. It was just, just miserable, honestly. Um, Bobby Green, always been a total decisionator and just kind of looked on the downswing himself a little bit in his last couple fights, but he still knows how to fight. He just looks slower. Um, yeah, and even then, like, he looked faster than he's ever looked before against Dober, but sometimes you'll see that in someone on the downswing where they'll have one fight where they look career best and still lose. Like, all of a sudden, you know, they'll, they'll look faster than they've ever looked. They look like they hit hard for once, and then. Yeah, and then we, we only have. And then we only. And, that, that, and that's a thing that always could have happened to Bobby Green. Yeah, it happened yeah. to him against Dustin Poirier, so I didn't really take anything away from it at the time. And then we only have that kind of one round against uh, Jared Gordon to go on before he just like knocked Jared Gordon out with a headbutt. Um, he didn't look great. Jared Gordon also looked good. Uh, 
I don't think it's going to matter, though. I think Tony Ferguson is just so, so far gone at this point that Bobby Green just doing his thing is probably going to knock Tony Ferguson out by accident. Yes, that's very fair. Uh, I think the fight is going to look very ugly if Bobby Green doesn't fight this fight like... Like, if he doesn't know what this is. Because what they're trying to do is they're trying to get Bobby Green a sick fucking knockout where he looks clean as hell to get him back on track because he somewhat recently became a, a pretty popular fan favorite. Like, he's people have always liked him if you're in the know, but, you know, until the Fazia fight, there was a lot of people that were like, Ah, oh, he's he's okay, but then the Fazia fight happened. People were like, oh shit, he fucking he took this guy that's certainly gonna be a title contender one day to the brink. You know, he, he got so much credit off of that fight and the Ally Quinta fight. He had a really nice little run during the lockdown cards as well. He just stayed really active and took a bunch of fights and had a bunch of fun fights. Uh, yeah, like he's game and he's not particularly matchup dependent. He can fight basically anyone and give him a good fight. Like they 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 really tried to they tried to push him right after the Fazia fight uh, in a way that kind of makes sense. And I think they're just trying to get him back on track because he, he still seems fine. Like he's a little old, but he, he like he can still have good fights. If he knocks out Tony Ferguson, they probably give him a, a fight against maybe Gamrot or something. Yeah. So I, I think that if Bobby enters this fight, knowing what it is and just tries to look slick and land nice counters, maybe dog walk him a little bit, stay more composed, don't do as much of the flowy shit as he normally does. Uh, like, if he's if he's f- switching regularly in this fight, he's fucking stupid. Um, I, I Like, I, I'm going to go that far with it. Because if, if your opponent is a switch chance fighter and you are also a switch chance fighter, in generally, to me, it feels like it's to the advantage of the person who doesn't switch as much because you're not leaving yourself susceptible to those really awkward exchanges as much. Uh, I I think Bobby's a kind of a fairly dedicated Southpaw these days anyway. Yeah. He's, he's better whenever he just stays in his stance, unless someone's kind of like a brawler just trying to come forward and he needs to do it to mix it up. But if he just sticks in his stance and waits for counter shots and sets up power punches off of his jab then i think it's a very comfortable knockout win for him but i think the fight's probably going to look ugly as shit even when he wins very easily oh yeah i don't think it's gonna look nice yeah and honestly he might win not even that easily if tony ferguson just suddenly lands a couple low kicks and you know drops in on a weird takedown and then starts elbowing him from guard or some bullshit like, I'm not going to expect that out of Tony Ferguson because he's so past it that him even showing up to f- the fight night is almost surprising. Like, the fact he can get through a training camp uninjured enough to actually compete is wild when he's this shot. Um, he, he looks Diego Sanchez shot at this point, which is incredibly disheartening to watch. But, I don't know. But, like, Bobby Green's just not inconsistent enough to actually lose this fight to me. I think his chin is too good. He's a good enough cardio athlete. Like He's a very good cardio athlete, and he's not going to just be a victim to the moment and be like, oh, fuck, I'm fighting Tony Ferguson. Because I don't think Tony Ferguson even remotely has aura anymore. I think he, everyone knows he's shot and basically a free win if you if you were a decent fighter. If you're UFC level, he's pretty much a free fight at this point, I would say. 
you could find people on on the prelims at lightweight that seem just okay, and they have a good chance of knocking him out just on how regressed he is now. Just fucking sad, honestly. Um, holy shit, Michael Kies is fighting Kevin Holland. I don't know why they're even booking this fight because, like, we 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 did this at middleweight already with Kevin Holland, and I don't know if there's a reason to expect different results. Oh welterweight just because you know Kevin Holland was uh, just a kind of weird creative fan favorite kind of meme action dude who climbed the ranks on a string of like kind of wacky knockout wins and then has to fight a top contender in a division populated mostly by grapplers at the top end and then he loses and um, this feels like it's just that again. Uh, but also, what if Kevin Holland just Darce chokes Michael Chiesa? Real chance he just Darce chokes Chiesa. Uh, I don't think Chiesa is strong enough to grapple Kevin Holland effectively. And he is... He's pretty I, strong. He's pretty strong, but um, Kevin Holland has scrambled and stood up against, you know, Derek Brunson and, like, even defended himself a little bit against Vittori at times. I, I just think that he's too noodly and annoying to grapple with for Kiesa to reliably get the positions he wants to, even though Kiesa's a very good grappler. And I think Kiesa's too defensively liable and one note on the feet to get good offense off against Holland. So I'm just expecting Holland to knock the fucking piss shit out of him. He's just, Michael Kies is still just so much harder to knock out than he should be, though. He's really hard to knock out, uh, but Kevin Holland has a history of kind of just hossing people in this type of matchup. Like, how different is this fight than the um, Anthony Hernandez fight? Well, I think Anthony Hernandez is better than Michael Chiesa. <laughs> exactly, yeah. And, and at that time, Anthony Hernandez was maybe worse, but... He is durable. It's not like he's uh, just some like fragile dude that gets wiped out all the time. He got wiped out by Kevin Holland just hossing him real quick and finishing him in the first 40 seconds, which I think Holland totally has the potential to do in this fight. Um, you know, people give him shit for the Kamaev fight because he just got wiped out, but he scrambled with Kamaev for like 30 seconds before he got ultimately like checkmated. <laughs> Yeah, and he was supposed to be fighting Daniel Rodriguez, and the fight got switched on twenty-four hours' notice. Yeah, I think he know, was even—he was even training wrestling at all for D Rod. The fact that he did anything resembling a kind of interesting uh, attempt is like very notable. Uh, and, and then you know he got TKO by retirement against Stephen Thompson, but I cannot think of a more different matchup than this one, and he rebounded against Ponzi Nibio looking perfectly fine, so. In fact, he, he fought him four months after getting, like, corner stopped, and and then looked fine, and then beat him in the third round, so. I, I'm just expecting Chiesa to also not be able to handle any body offense, because Holland has just the weird potential to really fuck you up with kind of anything. If, if Kevin Holland drops someone with a low kick, I'm not going to be surprised. So I'm especially not going to be surprised if just randomly one of the front kicks he lands really hurts Kiesa or he knees him to the body really badly or, you know, the elbows from top, something like that. Cause it's not like he's easily submittable. Uh, 
back fist while Kies is in on a leg. Yep, elbow while he's in on a leg, something like that. Um, he, Kiesa could also just like end up on top and then get kind of horrifically elbowed or you know swept with an omoplata sweep into ground and pound from from being omoplatted. Uh, like it really anything goes when it comes to a finishing sequence for Kevin Holland. So we're not gonna we're likely not gonna hit the exact pick, but I, I'm thinking Kevin Holland by finish. Uh, Michael Kiesa has the potential to you know, win from top position and maybe control Holland if he can really establish the position. It's just a, a tough ask for me to see whenever I haven't seen Kiesa do that very recent, like very recently. Um, the, like what's the most recent fight that he did that in? Is it Neil Magny? Uh, it's probably Neil Magny. Yeah. Looking at the, uh, or, uh, and then before that it was, um, it was Diego Sanchez who he didn't really even comfortably do that. I mean, he uh, he comfortably won, but it was like it's fucking Diego Sanchez, you know, a dramatically different frame, and also he's shot as shit by that point. And against Luke, Luke has not been looking good recently, in my opinion, and he still only landed a single straight on him, and then got immediately finished. So yeah, Luke is he's always had a great dash choke, but he does seem eminently more controllable than Kevin Holland. Yeah. And, and he uh, still just used a scramble to get in on a dash choke because Michael Chiesa, when, you know, just when he gets deep into grappling exchanges, he uh, has just always had the like featherweight Charles Oliveira thing where he's so convinced that he is the grappler in that situation that he's just going to win. And then he takes his eye off the ball and gets tapped. But, it's just happened to him so consistently throughout his entire career that you just have to work. Yeah, like I'm, I'm comfortable picking Holland by finish. Uh, it may not necessarily be a, a like striking finish. It could just be you know a simple Dars, as you've mentioned. But it, I don't know. I think knees to the body are, are really possible because Chiesa is not well-developed in the clinch and he's susceptible to getting hit in the body. Like, no, and he's always going to press the clinch, even oh, though, yeah. you know, he get, his one uh, stoppage loss that isn't a submission is uh, a doctor stoppage loss to Joe Lozon, because Joe Lozon just fucked him up in the clinch. Yeah, stuff like that is, is very possible, especially with how rangy Holland is. And, you know, I would like to believe that Holland learned lessons from the Wonder Boy fight when it comes to fighting someone that's kind of a similar frame to Kiesa. Just very different application of the frame and, and like athletic attributes. But just closing distance with a huge right straight is very effective for someone with uh, Kevin Holland's particular attributes. So just stepping in with a hard right straight and then as Kiesa bounced off the fence, meeting him with the knee to the body, that's that's a opportunity for him right there. Well, anyway, I am going to pick Kevin Holland by Dash Choke. That's fair. I'm going to pick him by... Uh, TKO in the second round after a kind of difficult first round of getting grappled, maybe. Also, Kiesa is like, he's able to gas from grappling too hard at welterweight, I think. Whereas Holland doesn't really gas from wrestling, he just kind of loses it. <laughs> yeah, and he is clearly just harder to wrestle at 170. He's probably actually tried to get better at it, but part of it is that, you know, he was a kind of weird, noodly guy who could compete at. 185 
but he's genuinely kind of a freaky athlete at 170. Um, what else yeah, we got the, going the, on this The card? rest of the card, very strange, but uh, like a lot of the individual fighters within the matchups are interesting. Yeah, I mean, Gabriel Bonfin's probably just going to obliterate Trevin Giles. Trevin Giles is weird and negative, and Gabriel Bonfin's a crazy violence dude who loves to smash it's, into it's people. It's more of like so, a level uh, test for Gabriel Bonfim. Uh If he doesn't go to the decision, then he's probably going to be something within a few years. But if he goes to decision, he's probably just going to be an okay, well-rounded guy for the rest of his career. That Maybe that's a doomer take for me for a 25-year-old. But that's that's just the history of it to me. I don't like Derek Lewis fighting Marco Sigeria de Lima because that's just like setting him up to have the same kind of loss he's just had repeatedly against a dramatically lower level of guy who uh, isn't very good but is incredibly fast, dangerous, and explosive in the first like two minutes of a fight. So Derek Lewis is probably going to get knocked out again and that's going to be lame. Everybody loves Derek Lewis. Yeah, I mean, at least he's not going to get knocked out in the first round by a guy named Sergey this time. Yeah, because like I he guess. got surveyed twice in a row. That he's got that going for him. I, I think Rogero de Lima is, is very comfortably going to win that fight. Um, uh, I think Roman Kapilov versus Claudio Ribeiro is going to be very fun. Roman Kapilov is a pretty decent prospect. I I like what he does on the feet quite a bit. Uh, he seems like a, a decently educated striker, but you know he's he's somewhat inexperienced but he's going against someone with about the same amount of fights as him so it should be uh, a decent way to see where both guys are at yeah i probably got obero in this just because he's like uh aggressive and violent and will probably go for takedowns and kopilov uh has some neat tools on the feet but is kind of feather-fisted and can't really wrestle so yeah no i'm not gonna disparage someone for getting knocked out by abdul razak al-hassan the guy hits really fucking hard so like I don't hold that as too big of a mark on Ribeiro's record. He's he's somewhat early in his. I think career. he did get knocked out in the second round by Al. Yeah, but he he's thirty one and he doesn't have a ton of fights, so it, it's to be expected that he's not going to be like the best. But also, you know, Kapilov's thirty two and he's got less fights, so something like that could also be an indicator. But he he seems like a bit more of a finished product to me. He just needs to get more experience within that and you know middleweight's a, a it, it's where a division where someone could be like 34 and just be hitting their stride you know so that i think that's an interesting fight uh jake matthews fighting a short notice replacement in darius flowers i know nothing about darius flowers but uh jake matthews has looked pretty serviceable in his last several fights uh in particular the uh andre fialio fight where everyone was losing their shit over him just counterpunching the most counterpunchable guy in the sport. And then he lost to Matthew Summelsberger, who was also fighting in the card, and against a short notice replacement as well in Uros Medic, where I think Uros is actually quite fun. I think it's going to be an interesting fight. He's just quite small. Uh, or at least I'm presuming him to be quite small. He's he's tall for the division. He's he's six foot one, But he's kind of skinny. I just didn't think of Uros being a huge lightweight or looking particularly huge fighting a former featherweight in Omar Morales. And Matthew Semmelsberger is a huge fucking welterweight. Massive. And he is immortal and hits really hard. Um, but he kind of sucks, and Uros Medic is a pretty tight kickboxer. So I, I kind of want to ride with uh, Uros on this one. 
Yeah, I think Uros is probably going to have loads of success picking off Semmelsberger as he's closing distance and just while they're in neutral exchanges. But then suddenly he's going to get beaten to the punch a single time and then get knocked completely unconscious or at least get hurt really badly and then finished. I'm expecting that fight to be a bit of a firefight for the first two rounds uh, if in ending in a finish somewhere. Uh, and then a fight that I was kind of excited for, Priscilla Cachoeira versus Joan Wood, has been rescheduled, to, or not rescheduled, um, Wood withdrew, so now it is Miranda Maverick versus Priscilla Cachoeira. And this should be Miranda Maverick getting a very easy control from top victory, but I am not going to trust her. Really? Yeah, I, I'm not too sure it, it's, about it that. It should, but I don't trust her at all to get that. I, I think she's, she is very possibly going to get dinged on the feet uh, kind of repeatedly and then maybe finished. But I don't know. She's 26. She could become good at any point. I'm just not betting on it. Yeah, I think it's entirely possible that she isn't able to get that control even against Priscilla Cashwara and just uh, kind of just gets pushed around and pulls apart on the back foot against someone who, for all of their flaws, uh is extremely ingre- aggressive and insistent and hits very hard for the division. Honestly, think that's a pretty rough one for Miranda Maverick, but maybe I'm going to look like a fucking dumbass. No, I, I agree it's a rough one for... It's just they're setting... They, the UFC thinks that um, Priscilla Cachoeira is basically useless, and so they use her as a stepping stool because she had one fight where she got absolutely shit-kicked. Then it gave her a lot of clout. Yeah, but she also has... She also has like two of the only one punch knockouts in the di- the history of the division. Uh and and you know they're they're good knockouts. It's just, it just Miranda Maverick really needs to she should not lose this fight. If she loses the fight it's quite embarrassing for her because it to me points out that she has much less potential than even her harshest doubters have said she has. Yeah, I don't know. Well, I don't know. I I kind of think Ariane Lipsky has more potential than Miranda Maverick. Oh, I would agree. Like, I, I would agree pretty dramatically. Um... Okay, anyway. Uh, some real quick hits before we get out of this. This is a fucking long-ass podcast. Uh, guess it's good that uh, not too much happened on the last couple cards we got to talk about. Uh, Tom Aspinall came back. He looked fine. He wiped March Interbora off the face of the planet like he was supposed to. There's just not enough footage of him for us to accurately assess him at any point so it's again just let's watch him fight again i guess but at least uh he was throwing kicks real hard with the leg that was fucked up he looked fine he didn't look tentative or he just he looked like himself and i was just genuinely worried uh after the injury in the curtis blades fight i was just like oh this is why we can't have nice things at heavyweight this is what happens when we have a a fun, active, well-rounded heavyweight who actually tries to do stuff all the time, just like gravity catches up with them too quickly and their career just ends almost immediately. But, you know, probably just being a doomer, uh, he looked fine. Uh, Molly McCann got instantly tapped by Yulia Stolyarenko because that's a thing that Yulia Stolyarenko does sometimes. And, and Molly McCann is very inconsistent and subtle. Yes, uh, Nathaniel Wood had a banger with Andre Feely that he won by decision, perfectly justifiably, even though he got dinged multiple times. I think the important thing about this fight that I took away is that Nathaniel Wood, even though he clearly looks like a uh, bantamweight fighting in the modern featherweight division, 
he handled himself fine against a pretty large and very experienced uh, seasoned veteran of the division. Uh, if you can beat Andre Feely, then your problem isn't being too small, even if it's a hard fight. Um, good luck for Nathaniel Wood. Uh, would like him to to see him fight someone even larger in his next fight. Yeah, and Paul Craig bigged Andre Muniz and had hair plugs. <laughs> He's a new man now. He actually tries to do MMA properly, and he had a hair transplant. And uh, it's weird seeing him at 185. You suddenly realize how jacked he isn't. Yeah, his uh, his beard has just gotten progressively better as he's fought. Like I thought it was as good as it can get a, a couple of years ago, but now it's just even better. So he, he's is unbeatable once his beard gets to full potential. Yeah, uh, bad luck in the sense that he still tried most of a round of shitty kickboxing before he just got to the stuff that he's actually good at. Uh, good luck that he actually looked to finish takedowns and... Uh, got a finish from top position against one of the better grapplers in the kind of fringe of the division. So uh, could be considered a better or worse performance from Paul Craig, depending on whether you like people to be like actually good at MMA in the traditional sense, or if you just like watching Paul Craig do his thing. Um, I was basically that card. Yeah, and then uh, the card before that that we, we missed because we, we skipped the podcast, uh, Meyer Buena Silva made Holly Holm look like garbage and uh, was really fucking her up well on the feet and made Holly Holm nervous enough to where she had to clinch with her. And uh, immediately upon clinching with Meyer Buena Silva, she recognized that, that was a terrible idea and uh, got hit by a couple knees in the first round. Got like shown that the the clinch is going to be a danger area, but she didn't learn her lesson, and then uh, immediately went for the same thing in the next round and got uh, ninja choked. So yep, Holly Holm did not look good. Uh, looked past it. Looked like she's probably not even particularly capable of having the kind of fights that she is needed to win throughout her career. Since you know, for the most part, she hasn't even really been having these like neutralizing out fighting performances for quite some time now, other than against uh, Arani Aldana. And for the most part, kind of does just look to clinch up with people against the fence. Uh, but she's not a technical clinch fighter or wrestler. And uh, just this uh, incredibly wonky negative bullshit that she has been running for, that has been working for her for too long, finally just got punished by someone who actually looked good and focused and dangerous at women's bantamweight. Uh, I've liked Myra Bueno Silva for a while, but I'm basically assuming that she runs this division now. Yeah, we're going to ride very hard for her. She fucking destroys Pena. Yo, easily. You think, you think Pena isn't, isn't going to try to grapple with like someone as dangerous and sneaky like in all positions as a grappler as Myra Bueno Silva? Yeah, and that's also real really her only chance of winning because if she tries to strike with her she's getting wiped yeah mara's looked a lot like really improved as a striker um she was just like landing nice stuff on clinch breaks like tracking holly home down and cutting her off on exits with nice kicks and stuff uh mara bueno silver is cool and good it was awesome uh jack della madalena fought a guy he had some questionable brain thinking 
but also he, he like won very comfortably and his opponent was pretty good. One clearly beat the fucking dog shit out of the guy. Don't know why it was a split. Uh, you know, Basil Hafez definitely showed up, had a good performance, showed he's a, a gritty as hell, hung in there the whole time, but he very clearly lost. This is clear underdog bias where you expect a guy just to get instantly wiped off of the face of the planet. And then he does okay in a clear losing effort. And that just looks like he's getting a lot more done than he actually is. Particularly since uh, JDM was kind of just like uh, dropping for a bunch of like kind of whack guillotines that were putting him in bad positions. But you know, in terms of the actual clean offense landed, JDM still completely ran away with this fight. You know, it had multiple short notice replacements within a space of a couple of weeks. Like, uh, I get it. And the the rest of the card was exactly fine. Mm. Based on like it was not great, but it was not a good card to begin with. And then it, it performed as as expected. Uh, Jun Park and Albert Dariah was sick. Yeah, was I, I, Iron Turtle looked sick, and he did a cool little dance after he finished Albert Dariah. So that was cool. Uh, I'm not even going to talk about because this podcast too long already. Look, go watch that shit. We'll fucking see you guys later. Fucking peace. Later. Later.